the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNEW presents... New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton, drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New Focus on Wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. If you have a money question, you can shoot me an email. It's chad at chadburton.com. That's chad at chadburton.com as a certified financial planner dealing with taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing. It's all fair game. Pretty much any money issue or question besides individual stock, buy, hold, or sell. I'm going to start the show today with an email from Kevin because there's a lot going on here. And... um a lot of decisions to make, a lot of questions, and it shows where a lot of people are in life. Kevin says, I'm 46 years old, married, have a very small pension and two small retirement funds with a combined total of 106000 Both retirement accounts are aggressively invested in stocks in hopes of catching up. That's in quotes. One is a 401k and the other is a 403b. And in parentheses, he says, could you start by explaining the differences, which I will in a minute. But he goes on to say, I... Also, may be making a career change in five years towards sole proprietorship of a small business, which will really limit the amount of money that I can set aside beyond monthly expenses for the first several years. And I'm honestly worried about the status of Social Security and its existence when I'm at retirement age. Goes on, we currently have 5,000 in savings. With limited resources, should people in their 40s focus on debt reduction first, i.e., credit card debt? car loans, mortgage, etc., and then put push hard for cash on hand and stocks after that? Or should we take a balanced approach? And if it, if it makes sense in our 50s and 60s, it's a bit more difficult. We're still having to focus on debt reduction. Essentially, what's your advice for people in their 40s who have high debt, low savings, and suddenly realize their lackluster retirement savings won't do? Thank you for your time, Kevin. And so, Kevin, thank you for the email. There's a lot going on. Uh, a lot of what you said, it's it's very common. I, I see it quite often. Um, and unfortunately, I think we're going to see it a little bit more because as we went through this recession slash, you know, shutdown situation where a lot of people, they got some stimulus checks and they turned around and went out and bought boats and jet skis and took on even more debt, new cars, used cars. The stories that I hear from a buddy of mine that runs a couple of different car maxes and how he will go tell somebody you're 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 getting charged 22% interest you're going to pay four times the value of this car over time like I don't care I can afford the payment doesn't matter to him like there's just such a lack of financial awareness or education in this country and it's 
kind of sad. There kind of should be more rules against allowing people to take loans like that. Um, oddly enough, he also told me a lot of stories recently of people that made money on OnlyFans coming in buying really fancy cars. And if you've heard this story on OnlyFans, first of all, I don't know why it's even in existence because I guess you pay to, to get uh, you know nude pictures and things like that. But that's like, it's on the internet. So that's free. Why would anybody pay for that in the first place? But people are making a ton of money on this. It's insane. Uh, so there's a lot of people that bought cars through OnlyFans and apartments and just lots of stories as, as OnlyFans decided to get rid of porn as they try to, I guess, set up to go public. Who knows how that story is going to play out? It could be one of those things where, you know, it's a scare, bad news, but any news is good news because now everybody's talking about it when people didn't even know what it was. Anyway, so let's let's go to Kevin's email because I'm going to go dissect this email one question at a time. And his first question is that he has two accounts, two retirement accounts. One is a 401k and the other is a 403b. Can you start by explaining the difference? Okay, first of all, typically a 401k and a 403b very similar. Very, very similar. 401k is what most people have. 403b is typically... The type of retirement account that you have if you work for a nonprofit or you're a teacher or a nurse or something like that. So 401k is very similar as long as the fund choices are good inside them, one's not necessarily better than the other. 403bs tend to have more limited investment choices inside of them. Like in most 401ks, we can you know, find a way to get stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, all of it in there. Whereas 403bs are typically mutual funds. So, you know, what I would do, Kevin, is look at both accounts and analyze, you know, your 401k is probably your current account that you're adding to. Your 403b is probably an older one, or maybe it's the one where your wife works. I don't know. If it's an older one and your current 401k is good, roll that 403b into your 401k and consolidate so you can see what you have. All right. So both have the same annual contribution limits, both can offer the ability to do a 401k pre-tax or a 401k Roth or a 403b pre-tax, 403b Roth in many cases. Uh, Both of them, we have clients that are doing the mega Roth 401k and the mega Roth 403b. So those mega Roth options are available in both types of accounts. So not a huge difference. It's just typically a 403b is for nonprofits, nurses, teachers, things like that. All right. One of the things that concerns me, Kevin, is that you're thinking about making a career change with $5,000 in savings, and that's not a good idea. That is not enough money to go ahead and say, I'm going to walk away from my employer that pays half of my FICA. So look at your paycheck, and you can see FICA. You pay half, your employer pays half. So your employer's paying half of your FICA, Your employer pays typically for some health benefits, some 401k or 403b match, some disability, takes all the risk. You know, it's, you know, I can't knock self employment, obviously. You know, I I was self employed from the age of 19 through 46 until my company was technically acquired by EP Wealth and now I'm part of a bigger, better group. But, 
you know, so it, it works, but man, I struggled. I was always two years behind in taxes for the first six, seven years of my career. I worked to make enough money to pay my bills, but then I'd have my taxes come due and I kept filing extensions and I felt like I was always behind. In the middle of that, I was having kids getting married and, and so you know the costs were high. I was trying to save money for a house. It was very difficult, very stressful. I'm glad I did it for sure. But if you've got a family and you only have $5,000 in savings to, to walk out of your employer and go self-employed, Look, if, if you're going to become self-employed, let's say you make widgets for a company. And if you want to turn around and go make widgets on your own, not only do you have more risk because you have to buy all the goods and, and you know pay all the bills and, and more work, but you have to typically make about 130% more just to break even after taxes and benefits. So if you're making $100,000 a year making widgets for... You know, company A, and you decide to go on your own and make widgets. You need to make 130 grand just to break even. And on top of that, you're going to have extra work because you're now the employee, the CFO, the CEO, HR, everything else. And that's fine. Go for it, but you need to financially prepare for that. $5,000 in savings is not enough. You need six months of expenses and saving just as a normal person. And if you're going to go self-employed, you should probably get that to 12 to 24 months minimum and have a backup plan if it doesn't work out. So you have to get that savings up. That kind of plays into another part of your question about what you should focus on. So we typically tell people, younger people to focus on is, you know, put enough money into the 401k to get any kind of a match that you possibly can. And then focus on debt reduction, everything but your house. I don't care about your mortgage, but get rid of all other debt. Get rid of it. And then build up your savings. So I was going over this great email from Kevin that just gave me a lot of insight into what a lot of people in the world are dealing with. When we look out there across people 40 and above, I've heard different stories of the average retirement account plan balances around 100000 or so. Uh, now, the number of million-dollar 401ks has drastically increased. But if you have a million dollars at 65, that's only going to produce about thirty grand a year for you at the most for the rest of your life safely. So obviously you're going to need more, especially if you're going to want to live in the Bay Area. So we're talking about career change issues. You got to build up your savings. When you're younger starting out and you're saving, I, I really want to make sure that you, as you, you get signed up with an employer, if they have a match, you want to put enough money into that 401k to get the match. And I would typically go Roth as a young person. I typically go Roth. If you're in late 40s, 50s, 60s, and you're behind on savings, I would go pre-tax. Okay, Younger, starting out with your career, go Roth. Older, behind, go pre-tax. If you're somewhere in the middle, it might be a combination. So keep that in mind. Um, then the next thing you want to do is focus on your debt. Because I don't mind mortgage debt. And I'd also be a little bit careful with student loan debt in case we get some sort of a, you know, across the board pay down by the government of student debt. Um, but if you have car debt, if, um, you know, even if it's a 2%, it's a five-year loan, that's a lot of monthly cash flow. So you might look at, let's say you have a credit card debt and it might be a higher interest rate, but a very low payment and you have a, a car payment that's really, really high 
you might, but even if it's a 2%, you might want to get rid of that, pay that car off as soon as possible. So you have more monthly cash flow to tackle that higher balance credit card. But debt is, is, is so bad because it's one thing if you have a short period of time where you aren't working or something like that. But if you then aren't working and you have all these bills and credit cards that you don't pay and your credit score is ruined, even if you get a job in six months, your credit score could be ruined for several years. And then all of a sudden, once you do have a good paying job, and higher income and you want to go buy a house, you're going to be paying more for a mortgage. You're going to be paying more for auto insurance in some cases. Um, it, it just, that's awful. I do not like any non-mortgage debt. Get rid of it. Now, the only time I might say, well, 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 well hold off. Maybe you, you know, invest in stocks instead of pay down that credit card is back in March and April when you see the market down 35 40%. That's a sale, baby. That's a blue light special at Kmart, if you remember that. That's time to go all in and buy, 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 buy when you get those type of declines. So that's one thing that I will put on aside and say, when you get big 20 to 30 to 40% corrections in the market, which come every seven years for a short period of time, then buy, right? And, and then go back to focusing on this. So... Um, a couple of other things that he talked about is, is Social Security. I'm worried about the status of Social Security when I go to retire. And Kevin is at that age at 46 where our advisors typically don't put the Social Security into the plan, even though we'll look at it and check the earnings history and make sure they're not missing any. By the way, you should do that too. Just go to ssa.gov and check the earnings history that you have. I've seen people where a full year of income is missing because their employer didn't report it properly. We had an issue at my old company where we changed payroll providers mid-year and the, the crappy one, ugh, I really want to name their names, um, that, that, you know, so we ended up with employees that had two W-2s that year, one from one payroll company and one from the other. And the first one didn't report properly to the, to the IRS. Um, and so that, that some of the income was missing on social security statements. So you should check those statements, but the, the way that the plan works, guys, is, is right now, if we project outwards, and it could get even worse based on what we see in Social Security COLA increases, like I talked about on yesterday's show, is Social Security is projected to pay out more money than it's taking in in the year 2034. And that's a problem because under current law, benefits have to be cut. So you're going to see a lot of changes. You're going to see delayed retirement. Like... You know, I would be willing to expect that almost everybody soon is not going to be able to take it until they're 70 years old. That's one. Most Americans can't afford to retire at 65 anyway, so that's not that big of a deal. Most of our clients were telling them to wait till 70 to take it because from full retirement age to age 70, it's like an 8% rate of return on your money. But when people are under 55, I tend to try to make sure that we can do the financial projections and retire without social security because if it's going to be saved, it's going to be replaced by higher taxes. And that's typically going to be higher taxes while you're in your higher earning years. And that means less that you have to save. So it's going to be there. It can't, you know, we can't necessarily get rid of it. My preference would be have a mandatory 401k contribution, but you got to remember social security is also a poverty program and a disability program. So we have to take care of those people that aren't able to work when it's not their fault. Now, there's some people that they're based on their own personal choices. They you know, end up in a situation where they can't work. There's others that aren't. And we have, as, as a society, we need to be able to have 
situation where we take care of those people. Same with if, if somebody gets sick in a family, you get, you know, the breadwinner in a family gets cancer and they can't work and they're 45, 50 years old and the entire family goes broken on poverty. That's absolutely ridiculous. That's not okay. So some of these things socially just have to change. Um, and I'm willing to pitch in on that as soon as the government's willing to become fiscally responsible, which so far we haven't had a leader in years that doesn't just spend more, 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 more money and put us in more and more and more debt. The amount of debt that we have, unbelievable in this country. And it's getting worse. So yeah, I'm worried about the social security status too. So if I'm under 55 years old, I'm going to make sure that when I'm doing my financial planning, my retirement projections, social security is not even in there. I want to be able to retire with it. And if it's still around when I'm 60, instead of retiring to 65, maybe retire at 60. Or it's just gravy and I take more vacations or buy a second home or an RV. So the, you've, you've, you've got to take the idea that I have to save for my own retirement. You cannot depend on the government for this stuff. There's too many people buying brand new trucks and cars before they put enough money into their 401k to get a match. There's too many people going to Starbucks every day before they put enough money into their 401k to get a match. You're financially stupid. Do you know the first year I bought a brand new car? 2017. December 2017. I'm starting to see that, okay, of the used cars that I was wanting, the, the price differential between you at new and used was not a, a big difference anymore. We're kind of in a weird situation where people leased cars three years ago are turning around and selling them for more than they owe right now on the lease payoff. So... It, the car market's a little bit weird right now, but I always looked at it as a depreciating asset. I'd rather buy somebody else's car that they drove for 36,000 miles on a lease because after I drive it for two or three months and my kids are eating after a soccer game or something, it's, it's not going to seem new anymore anyway. And I waited to get those new vehicles and toys until I was more financially stable. And teach that to your kids too. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com. Let me finish up a little bit with um, Kevin's email, which is thanks, Kevin, because you gave me a lot of content to talk about for the show. And because the final piece of this um, is that he asked about is with limited resources, should people in their 40s focus on debt reduction first and then push hard for cash on hand and then stocks after that? Or should we take a balanced approach? Even if it makes our 50s and 60s a bit more difficult if we're still having to focus on debt reduction. Yeah, I mean, again, debt's a big killer where you tend to take a little bit more of a, a balanced approach is when you end up with positive cash flow, right? Where your, your debt payments are low, you're between your mortgage, your home, uh, and car and everything else, you, you still have excess cash flow. And then you have a 2% rate on a five-year car loan. Then you know make sure you're maxing out that 401k first because you have excess cash flow and you need that tax break. Or you need to put it into something that's going to grow tax-free forever. So people tend to end up at that point of excess cash flow 
in their 50s and 60s. So, because what happens, right? You, you, you tend to send your first kid to college around 40 to uh, 44 years old, you know, 45 years old, somewhere around in there. And then, so by the time, if you have a couple of kids, by the time you're 55 or so, most of your kids are out of college. They're off on their own. You're not paying those expenses. You're not paying for oh, like soccer club for, for my second son. The uniforms and the cost of that and then dance classes for Ava and all of those different little costs that just kind of go away. And all of a sudden you have a more money to save. And so again, that's when you are in that excess cash flow situation where you take that balanced approach. You make higher income, so tax breaks are nice. Max out that 401k. Then pay down all of your non-mortgage debt. Then go back up and open a Roth IRA or a mega backdoor Roth in your 401k. Done whole shows on that. Just check out you know iTunes and search for it. Um, but you, you, uh, what we're seeing is just the majority of Americans are in a situation like this where they didn't have a lot of education back in high school. And so they're buying new cars and, and homes they couldn't afford and realize that they're in their mid 40s. Like, wow, I'm 45. I'm supposed to retire in 20 years. And I have less than one year of my income saved up. By the time you're 40, if you want to be on track for 65 retirement, you're going to have like four or five years of your annual income saved. That's, that's when you're on track. And so, if, you know, you can easily Google like, am I on track based on age? And I think Fidelity and a bunch of other firms have put in you know, really good reports that I've done whole shows on. So you got to figure out, are you on track? Now, because I'm even seeing... Okay, one of the things I was going to talk about today is I'm starting to see too much of an appetite for risk simply due to low rates on cash and FOMO, fear of missing out. And so if somebody's sitting there like feeling like they've missed out, oh, the stock market's up 19%. Well, it's already up 19%. You've already pulled forward expectations of a recovery and, and into next year. We've already got... Essentially, you know, the average stock market return over the last 100 years is around 11% for the S&P 500. So we're beyond that. We've had a really, really good year. So don't go too out on, far out on the risk curve before you make good financial decisions simply because you have FOMO or you're not making any return on low rates in cash. For those of you that are getting a little bit too optimistic, which honestly I am, I think we're overdue for a bit of a correction, but... Besides supply chain issues, most of my clients that are business owners are just crushing it right now and have more business than they can handle. But we do have supply chain issues. There's a plastic and resin shortage. Toyota, GM, Ford, Volkswagen all have semiconductor issues that are going to affect the ability to sell cars. I was recently talking to a Cintas rep about a shortage on certain PPE items, even like liquid bandage, gloves. Um, you, You hear about, you know nursing gowns and different glove items and things like that, plumbing supplies for building. Um, you know, you hear about constructions booming, but you're starting to see a decline in certain areas of sales because they can't finish stuff fast enough. You know, including my own remodel, which took a ridiculous amount of time. And it was something that I had to take on because of a water leak and a mold issue. It was horrible timing to take it on because I was, you know, so busy with... COVID correction, trading, 
merging with the EP Wealth is just, but what's done is done. I finally actually moved back into my house tomorrow, in fact. So I'm super excited about that. But there's still some items that are missing. I still got some extenders for a faucet, faucet that's missing. I've got some shower glass that's delayed another month because of a COVID shutdown, another case of COVID at the glass manufacturer. Did you know ketchup was a, had a major shortage? I don't know if there's a shortage right now. I told you about when I was having lunch at a place and they basically shut down the kitchen because they were out of chicken and the Cisco truck hadn't showed up yet. But we got some serious supply chain issues. and. I went to Costco the other day and, you know, Oregon already implemented, you know, mask everywhere essentially. And at the, in a couple of days, it's going to be required everywhere inside again in Washington. Masks already sold out at Costco. The Jackson Hole Symposium is now virtual. So travel is going to slow down again. You're already seeing a decline in booking, uh, according to TSA and travel. And you got to realize what stimulated the economy. It's the consumer. And the consumer had a bunch of extra cash. There, just about every business owner that I know took out a PPP loan because back in March and April, nobody knew what was going to happen. We thought it was going to be 2008, 2009 all over again. It looked awful. And so a lot of businesses took out PPP loans. And then all of a sudden, unless you're a restaurant or a hotel, or an airline, you recovered and then, and then some. And so there's been a ton of cash out there on the market. Plus you had people that were making more money on unemployment when they were work than when they were working. So look, everybody's already gone out and bought their RVs, their boats, their jet skis, their cars. Everybody's already done it. What else can, you know, people get at this point? So we're going to see some slowdown because this Delta virus is even affecting people that are vaccinated. And now we're all realizing that people that are vaccinated are spreading the virus. So we're, I don't know if we're going to go into a full lockdown style again, but it's not as rosy as it seemed a couple of months ago, right? Because of the Delta virus, the Delta variant, rather. We got China slowing. They're cracking down on speculation there. And typically when they go to this more, you know, crackdown style of communism, that trend lasts for two or three years. And, and they're, they're slowing. And that's a lot of supply chain disruption out of China, right there. Um, so this is going to be around for a while. And remember, China's about 30% weighting of most international emerging market indexes. So they've been hit pretty hard. By mid-February of this year, emerging markets was outperforming the US up 12%. And then we had Delta just ravaging India. And uh, a stronger dollar and, and COVID hitting a lot of emerging markets that weren't able to handle it as well as, as the US and Europe. Now, emerging markets are down 2.33%. Majority of money managers at the beginning of the year thought emerging markets were going to outperform. And here we are, internationally developed, like Europe, up almost 12% for the year. And I will say that active management, big winner in these areas. So um, again, I, uh, as a firm, we're pretty agnostic, right? We do some individual stocks, we do some actively managed funds, and some indexes and ETFs. But we've been waiting a little bit more in the small cap and inter- international world in actively managed. And that's paying off right now because even though the internal fees are higher, the returns have been a bit better. And 
do not, I would not give up. I know I've been saying this for a long time, but look, we've, we've had an underperformance of international stocks for 10 years now. That will switch. Um, and I just listened to yesterday a 14-minute interview by Jeffrey Gunlock that is basically saying because of the debt accumulation that we have and how China is playing global politics, the US dollar is losing its lackluster as the, the, the leading currency. And so that all points to a bit weaker dollar going forward. We've already kind of really reached the peak, he says, and, and the strength of the US dollar. And when the dollar does weaken, international stocks tend to do really, really well. So if you're all you know, S&P 500 waiting, that means you own mostly Apple, Microsoft, uh, you know, Google, or Alphabet, I guess you should say. Uh, you know, the big ones. Just look up the S&P 500 in the waiting. I've gone over it a million times. It's large cap growth. And the average P ratio is much higher than any international index that you're going to see out there. Uh, so even though, you know, besides Baba, Alibaba's final 6% retracement today that, that finally went up after a while, China looks tough, but that's not all of emerging markets. You can kind of invest in actively managed funds still find really, really good companies with high growth rates that are selling things to the emerging middle class, which is where you make all the money in international markets. So look at the Callan, C-A-L-L-A-N, periodic table of investments, and you'll see that asset classes rotate and why you wouldn't want to give up on small cap, small cap value, especially emerging markets and international. Just before the show, recently got off a, a call with... Uh, a family, a couple that's been clients for a long time, another one of our CFP certified financial planners, and we're basically going over uh, planning scenarios that included moving out of the Bay Area. So what's interesting is the way that I see it is, is when I look across the client, uh, you know, the our, our client base. I can't, I wouldn't be able to tell you that California is, is all liberals because I, I feel like you kind of have a half and half mix and I try not to talk politics. But when you get any kind of a major political event like Afghanistan, sometimes it pushes people over the edge to move. I saw people want to move out of the country when Bush was elected. I saw people want to move out of the country when Obama was elected. Essentially, you know, the, the people that we've had to vote for uh, you know, it's going to tick somebody off some way, shape, or form. And so another request from a client that we're running scenarios. And what's great about our planning software, and each of our clients gets a personal financial site where they can see these projections and the different alternatives, is this couple was not only fed up with politics, but they are fed up with paying taxes at the California state level. And now yesterday on the show, I discussed the salt workaround because a big hit to kind of the mid-range, especially brackets in California was the limitation of the ability to deduct your state income taxes and property taxes, unlimited amount on your schedule A on your federal return. That amount was limited to 10 grand. So that increased the taxes for a lot of people in California and Oregon and other places that have a state income tax. Now, if you're a business owner, I mentioned yesterday the SALT workaround that's been passed in many states, including California, for people that have S-corps and pastor entities, you know, basically business owners. There's not really a workaround yet for just the average retiree that's living off their portfolio. 
couple of things about moving out of state. States are getting tough on this. Specifically, New York has rules for people that are working for a company in New York, but they then they they're they're allowed to work remotely for you know if, if forever now. So they move to a different state, and New York has rules to assess taxes on individuals who are working for employers located in a high tax state, even though the employer is no longer residing in that state. So there's issues going on here that California, New York, Oregon are starting to go after these people. They're like, no, 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 no. You know, your, your employer is here. You're getting paid out of this state where you're paying taxes on it. So that's one thing to consider. Most of the time when we're doing this though, it's for people that are retired and they're living off of social security, which in most cases is 85% taxable, their pensions, dividends and interest, retirement account income. I want to say, don't just focus on income taxes. You have to think about property tax too. Because if you've lived in your Bay Area home forever, you have a very, very low property tax base. And if you're older, let's say you're late 70s, 80s, and you paid, let's say, a couple hundred grand for this house that's worth $2 million, and you're about to sell it, pay taxes on it, move out of the state. Well, if you live in the state of California, it's a community property state. So when the first spouse dies, the property gets a step up in basis. The survivor can turn around and sell it tax-free. As soon as you move out of the community property state, you lose that. As soon as you sell it and you pay the taxes, you lose that. So you got to kind of think about this in terms of family planning. The other issues with family planning, let's say you're going to move out of the state and of California and move to the state of Washington. Well, the state of Washington has an inheritance tax where the state of California does not. The state of Washington is implementing all sorts of other taxes like a long-term care income tax for workers, trying to implement a capital gains tax, a lot of things going on, people. And so you might get caught in another trap. You got to think about sales tax and property taxes. And a bigger one is you really have to think about your social group. If I'm retired in an area for 10, 15 years and all my friends are there and I play golf with them, I walk across the street and hang out, we have, you know, whatever. I, that's, that's, that's a big endeavor to recreate your social group at that age. It really is. So think about that. The good thing is, is that we now under Prop 19, we've got some time to experiment. So if you remember Prop 19 was passed last year and it was in, in effect April, after April 1st of this year, that if you sell your current primary residence in California, you have two years to essentially replace that. You got to be of a certain age and, think, and, and qualify. So look into it. But if you're older and you're retired and you want to say, you know what? I'm going to sell my home. I want to move out of my home anyway. But I got a really low property tax base. So I'm going to sell it and I'm going to try to move to Arizona or Nevada or Washington. See how I like it. As long as you get back to California with two years, if you don't like it, you can maintain that property tax base. So that's one thing to consider. But look, when we're planning for these things and we run the scenarios and we actually show people their effective rate for California and we can put a number on it, like, hey, it's 15 grand a year, California taxes. It's an effective rate of 6%. Then you can put a dollar value on your social network, your familiarity with where you live, and all those other things. So that's part of having a good financial plan that's live and up running, having a financial site where you can run these scenarios on the fly and talk about options to save on taxes, to invest more wisely uh, before you make a rash decision because you're angry. You know, politically, you're angry. Um, you know, like writing the check, I get it. But 
that's a big decision to make. Big, big decision to make, especially if you bought real estate years and years ago. If you have a money question, please shoot me an email, chat at chadburton.com. And I'll use it on the show. If you don't want me to use your name, make sure you tell me that. Otherwise, I'm going to use your name. Never your last name, just your first name. Um, If you need help with your financial planning, very detailed retirement plan projections and testing, chadburton.com. You can find Facebook, LinkedIn. I don't use Twitter really, so don't bother with that. But all of the platforms for the podcast, whether it's Stitcher or iTunes, there's links at chadburton.com. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.